It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome on in to The Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. So happy that you're here with us uh, every month here on The Mom Show. We talk, we call it the state of women in Utah, talking about different issues that impact moms, women uh, in the state of Utah and Uh, My guests today are on the forefront, the front lines, if you will, of those conversations and the research behind uh, what women in Utah are dealing with. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women and Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick here with us as well with the Policy Project. Ladies, welcome. I want to dive in today to, Susan, your latest research on uh, women of color in Utah. I know we reported on this um, in the last uh, couple of days here on KSL News Radio, talking about some of uh, the Native American women and how uh, they might be experiencing different issues than the rest of women in Utah. So let's dive in. You've got a new snapshot out there. Talk to me, just outline it for me. Yes, we just released uh, our fifth of five research snapshots on women of color. And I, I've just really loved this initiative that we've had the last year. So we've, we ch- chose to do five based on the uh, census categories. And those include Pacific Islander and Native, Amer- Native um, Hawaiian, and then second Asian, third Black, Latina, or, you know, Hispanic, and then just this past week, the American Indian women. So um, we've learned a lot and we've collected data. And overall, Lindsay, I have to say that what we've learned is there's not a lot of data by, well, first of all, I think we've talked about this in previous shows, how it's been eye-opening. I knew we struggled with gender data. There's so many. I've talked to reporters that have come to Utah from Colorado or back east, and they're like, we can get so much data on gender and race, but not here in Utah. And so that that has committed, you know, I'm committed to helping us uh, ask that question more on race and, and gender. So that's that's been something that that we've learned. And um, but most of these research, especially this last one that we've we've just released on American um, um, American Indian women, that one was st- really striking because pretty much in every category there is, when you compare American Indian Utah women to all women, there's so many issues in terms of poverty, in terms of even the internet. So did you know, like about five or 10%, I can't remember my numbers right now, of Utah women don't have access to internet. But um and that's a basic need these days, right? But it, it's like 30%, 25-30% for, for um, American Indian women. And health issues, especially mental health issues, there's a, a lot of difference between American Indian and, and other women as well. And, you know, just a lot of things. Educational level, significantly less women uh, getting their their bachelor's degrees or, or significantly more women just ending their education if you're American Indian at that high school diploma. So it's good for us to know this. I mean, I don't 
don't want to take time to go through all of those. Um, I would, I would love to, to hear your comments, but I would, I, I want to also let you know that, that we're all, we held 11 community conversations around the state with women of color. We did two Pacific Islander, two Asian, two Black, two Hispanic, two American Indian, and then one for what what is categorized new Americans, so refugees and immigrants. And we, our team just listened to them for a couple hours over food, listened to their biggest concerns. So I would love to share some of those if we have time. Yes, I would love to hear that. And what I think I found so interesting from your research, as I heard it both here on KSL News Radio in the news capacity, and then just hearing you talk about it again, it's just like you're saying, internet is a basic need right now. Can you imagine not having access to internet? We couldn't do this show if we didn't have access to internet. And so to hear that that number is like 5% for all Utah women, but then like 25% for um, American Indian women, it's like... That's that's a huge jump. And that really signals, Emily, and I'll bring you in right here, where the policy needs might come into yeah. play, right? Where this research can then go and help uh, people who are making decisions that can impact these communities. Emily, how have you, how do you interpret some of this data? Real quick, Lindsay, I just want to make a comment. What I was thinking about that internet was moms during the pandemic trying to teach their kids. That's what I was worried about um, the most. Yeah, I think, you know, I I was thinking that same thing, Dr. Madsen, that there is a huge, that creates a massive problem when you are a parent. I think every school form, all of these things are done online now. You know, you can't hardly give consent for kids to take the bus, you know, without going online to do it. So I think it really, you know, one in four women is, it's too, it's too, too many. So I think, Lindsay, to your question, when you look at these stats, one of the things that I love that um, Dr. Madsen's team does is when they break down information, it it's, makes it super easy to compare to other groups in this. So, you know, on the on the actual snapshot that we're looking at, there is a column that says American Indian and then a column that compares to all Utah women. So you can see right there what it looks like. And I think, you know, as far as looking at policymakers and the way that we approach these conversations, it makes it really easy and straightforward to see that there's clearly an issue. And, um, and I think, you know, obviously policy some sometimes you know we have we struggle at the policy project at my organization to kind of explain the importance of policy because it feels a little removed from the day-to-day like well I don't know I mean I don't know that this is a policy issue almost everything is a policy it is almost everything is (laughs) yeah yeah and and most of these things like as you're looking at these stats you know educational attainment income um occupational type industry like all of these things they've been impacted by policy at some point and this is where all of the things like being more accurate about history and the things that impacted certain people especially people of color and especially when we're talking about American Indians and kind of there have been a ton of policies that have impacted where they can live you know the uh, the things they can access and and so absolutely this is like an incredible tool for good here to see here's how we can improve, you know, here are some areas that really need help. And I know that, um, you know, the Lieutenant Governor Henderson, she is running, um, what is it called? Whitewater? What what is she calling that? Do you guys remember? Westwater? I can't remember. I'll have to look it up, but let me go back to this. Okay. So, but 
Lieutenant Governor Henderson has a big effort to basically get um, electricity and water to a big portion of the Navajo Nation that doesn't currently have it. And I think you think about that, and it's like Dr. Manson said, you know, these are basic needs, like water, electricity, these things that you're like, that can't possibly exist in America. No, it exists in Utah. So in 2020, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you think. Like, really? People don't have water in Utah? Access yeah. to water? Yeah. And those percentages are high, too. I think they're above 30 percent of, of Navajo Nation. The portion that resides in the state of Utah um, doesn't have access to those things. So it's a big issue, you know, and we need people are starting to take note. But but the fact that this research is new, the fact that Dr. Madsen and her team have just done this, like, that's what's so crazy is that we didn't have those numbers. We didn't know. And so you can't do better until you know better, but when you know better, you have to do better. So it's time to do that. It's so important. We're going to take a break here, but we'll dive back into more of what Dr. Madsen's research talks about with women in color, women of color in the state of Utah. Emily Bell McCormick is with the policy project and Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah women and leadership project. We'll take a break more on the mom show in just a minute. You've joined The Mom Show. Being a mom can be tough sometimes. We try to make it easier. Here's Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into The Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. We're talking with Dr. Susan Madsen of the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. These two women are invaluable in the state of Utah. Dr. Madsen's research team and then Emily's policy team where uh, they learn about Utah women and the demographics. And particularly, they've been diving into women of color and the different needs of the different groups of women of color. It's not just Black women versus white women, right? It is uh, Native American women and uh, Pacific Islander women and all the different um, ethnicities and races out there. And so, Dr. Madsen, we've been talking about your recent snapshot on American Indian women. And specifically, we touched on this co- this component of the Internet, where I think the numbers were uh, only 5% of Utah women, 5 to 10% of Utah women don't have access to Internet, but it's 25 when you look at American Indian women. And not only did you do this research, but then you went out and met with these communities and found some real practical solutions to some of these things. Yeah, um, absolutely. So, so the associate director, Marin Christensen, who's on my team, and Lillian Tosu Jensen, who's an independent contractor, who's uh, American Indian herself, they, they really took on this effort to meet around the state with 11 different groups. And so two of them were, were Asian women, two of them were Black women, two of these groups. And they had maybe 15 to 25 people in each group. And, and they had dinner and over dinner for two hours, just talked. And what was interesting is we've just published three of these. So we've now published, um, and they're just two pager summaries of Pacific Islander, Black, and Asian women. And it's so interesting to see what their top pressing concerns were. And then they also just gave us a list of 
these are things that need to be done. <laughs> so we from them. So here we are three white women talking about this, but I think it's, I think it's important to, to listen to women of color about their experiences and for us as white women to support and lift them. So one, as I'm looking right now at these three that we published already, one that is consistent across all three. So we have like three to five most pressing issues. And then we give details in these reports, but strikingly to me was the concern from every one of these groups on health and particularly mental health. And one thing I really did learn, I'm learning a lot from all this work, is how important, this came up really strong in the, with the Black women specifically, but, but with all, how important it is to have mental health professionals who are the same color race. Hmm because people struggle and I hadn't really thought of that. So that was an aha. It may, may seem, you know, like not an aha to other people, but there really is a shortage of like American Indian women who are therapists, Asian, you know, all of that to be able to have those resources. We have to have, first of all, more therapists and more mental health professionals. But that was really something that came up in all three. So I'll let you guys comment before I tell you my second one. Well, and not to compare, you know, the the, the struggles that women of color have been through but I, I put it in perspective with, you know, we have a predominant religion here in the state of Utah. And many times, you know, I work with a lot of moms and women. They talk to me about how they want a therapist who is of the same religion. Yeah. So they get, you know, that struggle, that that push and pull, that tug that sometimes growing up in the culture can present itself. And so that to me equates to why we need more women of color therapists, because that is, um, I don't want to call it a struggle, but there are different challenges right there that you've experienced in a different lived experience that you want someone to be able to relate to. Well, that identity piece I mean, gender is so such an important piece of identity. Race and ethnicity is so important. Religion is important. But even things like moms, this is a mom show, right? Sometimes you connect with experiences of other moms a little bit. You know, we're all, you can't sometimes get someone that has exactly your your identity pieces, but but some just are so important, especially when you're struggling with certain kinds of challenges. Yeah. Emily, let me bring you in here. How, uh, what, what speaks to you here? You know, it's, it's funny because this is actually really personal, but you both know that I have a son who is black and um, we had been looking for a therapist, you know, um, for him, just for a couple little issues. And, and I am very open to therapy. So I am typically one that seeks it out pretty quickly if needed. And um, one of the things that I found is even with him, like trying to find a person of color to be his therapist, because some of the things that I realized I didn't have a full toolkit to deal with, um, obviously, but comments like at one point, he, he tends to love he's an athletic little guy and he loves sports. And I said, Oh, do you want to play on this baseball team? And he's like, I'm only going to play on that team. If there's another Brown kid on that team. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, that's actually fair. You know, as a mom, I'm like, totally fair. You live in a mostly white neighborhood, like very highly white neighborhood. And that's what you mostly see. You know, we obviously have friends who are people of color and that, but that whole idea of representation and Mm -hmm. understanding that struggle. Like I, I knew that, 
other therapists I've talked with or that we've worked with in the past could maybe be helpful. But to understand that specific struggle, it just really speaks to what Dr. Madsen is saying here that like the specific, the specificity of, of that um, identity is, is so real. And so having that ability to access is so important. It's got to be so hard for him to, you know, live in a predominantly white area and not feel like he's an outcast in a way, right? Because he doesn't see anyone else who looks like him. That's got to be so hard. And he's like, what? eight. Yeah, he's seven. And I just think he's a very social kid. He doesn't have a problem. So it's not like he talks about race a lot. He doesn't yet. You know, it was just such a casual statement that it almost like threw me off like, oh, okay. I mean, we talk about race in our home a lot because it's something I'm interested in that we try to work with a little bit with policy. But, but the reality is he had never brought it up. And so when he said that, I was like, Oh, it is impacting you, even though you have friends and you are social and you know, you've had a great life experience. This is still, still a part of things for you. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and my, the next one I was going to bring up was that sense of belonging or exclusion on the other hand, right? That um, inclusion, belonging, exclusion, that was really real. That is so real for so many of these women that, that, talk to us. Yeah. It's why representation matters in all these different areas. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. We'll take a break. More on The Mom Show in just a minute. It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning (laughs) and then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into The Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. If you are just joining us, you can podcast the whole show wherever you podcast. Just search for the KSL Mom Show. I've got lots of past episodes up there as well. So go on your daily walk and put in a podcast and listen to The Mom Show. Lots of good topics to talk about. Uh, Joining me today, Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women and Leadership Project and Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. We often talk about the state of women in Utah. We call this show the state of women in Utah. Um, and Dr. Madsen, we've been discussing your research around women of color in Utah, specifically, you've broken down some different, uh, research, uh, and you've not only done that with different ethnicities, different races, but you've gone out to these communities and sat with these women yeah. and talked to them about their specific needs, how we fix some of these gaps between what all Utah women are experiencing and then what these subsects of women of color in particular are experiencing and so we've, we've touched on a few of these, um, just their access to, to mental health care being one of them. And I forget the second one, but, but talk to us about what some of these groups really say they're experiencing right now. So the second one was uh, exclusion or on the other side of belonging um, and, and the important work that needs to be done there. And I think even though there's some other ones, the third big one that was mentioned in all of these gatherings really was education. I think most people understand that that's so important, Um, but education related to college 
you know, the opportunities for college, but also just in the classroom, you know, the educational experiences uh, in K through 12, uh, where their kids don't feel like they belong, where teachers may not be equipped to handle some of the things that, and Emily, you could probably speak to that because you have uh, uh, one or two black kids, right? Yourself too. Okay. Um, so in one, the, the category was unacceptable educational environments, a lack of cultural awareness, um, just, just those. And then again, K through 12, the classroom experiences, what they're having, but also opportunities um, to to grow up thinking that secondary, I'm not secondary, but um, that that education, a college and university education is for them. And of course, we know higher education is linked to jobs, is linked to how much you make, staying out of poverty, unemployment rates, all of those. So those that's the other topic that's really important. Then I'd love to just get into telling you some of the things that these women said like action steps. Yes. Let us get into that. But, but that piece really brings up to me, like here we are on the mom show, Emily, I know you, you must experience this. Can you imagine sending your kid to school and not having their teachers be fully equipped to handle the fact that they're, they're black or that they're a person of color, like uh, as a white woman with white children, I just don't have to experience that, that that it's not something that um, is, anything I'm having to deal with. Emily, how has this shown up for you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I mentioned earlier that we live in a neighborhood that's predominantly white. Um, our local elementary school does have like a population that is of color, which is nice um, and, and really great. And I would say for me, uh, I would have a different perspective than parents who are black or people of color, that, you know, the same race as their children, just because I am the predominant race, you know, and I know that I am and I'm aware that I have some gaps in my vision with with this but it it really does create like a level of I get pretty anxious about it you know just as far as like are they going to know what to say we put a lot on our teachers we have high expectations for them there's no way that they're trained to do everything that they're asked to do you know it is kind of like they need to be mental health providers they need to be teachers of math science you know art all of the things um and we need them now to be a little bit more cognizant of like some of the equity issues that we talk about more these days, gender, race, these kinds of things. And so it's not going to be perfect, but yeah, it's, it's a real concern. We've had a, a, a pretty good experience, but I was also there when um, the, oh, I'm going to forget the name of it, but uh, when Representative Holland, Sandra Hollins, who is um, Black, signed into law the anti-bullying um, law this year that I'm, I'm forgetting what the House bill name was, but it was a, essentially in response to a young girl in Davis County who had commits, committed suicide due to what um, was said to be racial bullying. And so I think, you know, it's a very real issue and Utah is trying to take care of it. You know, that policy is helpful, but we need the culture to change around it too. And to just be okay with like, it's okay to say some things we don't know, we're going to try now, we're going to try to learn, we're going to try to progress and be a little bit more thoughtful about racial issues. So I, I do know, I also have, um, 
a brother-in-law who is Tongan and he has talked a lot about, you know, he works at the university and he's talked a lot about how many people in his, like uh, from his heritage that educational outcomes are, are low and that they need more representation there too. So a lot of, there's a lot we can do there. You know, it's, it's hopefully we are starting to do those things. I was just going to make a quick comment that, that I think one of the issues here in Utah is that so many of us still subscribe to the quote, I'm putting quote marks up, colorblind mentality. That if we don't talk about it, if we don't think about it, then then I'm really, I'm not biased because I'm not seeing color. But what we know from the research is that doesn't work. It doesn't work because we all have biases. We just are not aware of them. So the research says that if we understand it, hence we're doing this research, if we have the data, if we understand, if we see difference, if, if, if we listen, if we explore, then we can actually change and do better. Yeah. And, and we recognize that these gaps exist. You, you've identified this in, in the research, Susan. What were some of these women saying to you? of action steps. What are things we as white women with privilege can do to be allies to women of color? Okay, let me dive in. Let me give you a couple from the Asian women, the two community conversations that my team has done with Asian women. Here's a couple of them. One, avoid tokenism by listening and considering the perspectives of women of color rather than including them in the conversation just as tokens. Uh, create DEI committees only if they move towards action, not just sitting there and talking. Uh, enhance outreach efforts for resource awareness. Actually, all of them had something about resources. There are resources out there, but so many women in these categories that we're talking about, Asian or Pacific Islander, so many of their peers, they just don't know the research or, or the resources that are out there. Um, uh, let me let me go over to a Pacific Islander and pull out a few out of them. Here, here's one: create a mentorship network specifically for Pacific Islander women, so that they can get together more and have have uh, connections there. Uh, find businesses doing DEI work well and and help businesses mirror their their uh, approaches. And find Pacific Islander health providers, research, uh, resource outreach, um, lean on community members to help solve problems uh, in the community with funding and support. So those are a few. And then let me pull just a couple out from the our report on Black women. Um, this one compile and distribute a comprehensive black specific resource list. So that's that I think is a great idea. Create awareness by highlighting professional black women throughout Utah. I think that that's a great um, a great idea for all uh, women of color in different groups. Increase the number, I love this one too. Increase the number of women of color in government administration, leadership, and politics, I, I would say in every place, like principals of school districts and yeah. just that representation. And then for the Black women, I think the last one I'll, I'll mention is provide better training about race for teachers to discuss history in age-appropriate ways, college faculty to understand anti-racism pedagogy, like how you actually teach, and to school and business leadership 
on how to handle racist instances like bullying and harassment. So those are a few from from our reports. Wouldn't that be so interesting if we had some policy around that where because our state legislature is, you know, in, in charge of telling the state school board what to do, right? We could get some policy around uh, training for um, our teachers. That would be really cool. Emily, let me bring you in here because I know your policy group has had a lot of conversations with people of color in the last few weeks. What have you learned? Oh, there's so much. I mean, I think it's been a really interesting moment just because we're two years post George Floyd, which essentially was just, you know, a climax of like talking about race again. And there's been a lot of emotion around it, a lot of uh, polarization around it, a lot of everything around it. But the reality is, for me at least, that these conversations have to happen. They can be awkward. They can be uncomfortable. People can kind of side up on things, but, but, but to get this to move forward, um, kind of like Dr. Madsen was saying, us not talking about it is kind of adhering to this colorblind ideal. And race is such a tricky topic because it's actually universally recognized that race, like in quotation marks, race is a social construction that actually we're just talking about heritage, like like genealogy, heritage, like where's your heritage from? Where all three of us are Anglo, right? Um, some people have African descent, like, you know, some people are of Asian descent, all of these things. So it is, it's a tri- tricky topic because we're trying to say like, hey, race is a social construction, but at the exact same time, we created so much policy around race in our past. There is no escaping that. There is, we are, have. if you are American, our country has created a lot of policy that was dictated by by said races. And so we have to come out of that. Um, I would say the conversations have been uh, very wide reaching. Everything from some of the quotes that Dr. Madsen was saying, you know, like we need more DEI, we need more um, representation in kind of high level jobs. Like we need for, I want my own kids to see what does a director of marketing Who's black look like? What is that? You know, like what do, what do these you we need more of those people? Um, one interesting thing that I'll say just surrounding that was uh, one woman, uh, Sunny Washington, who has worked with Silicon Slopes for a couple of years and and does um, some advocacy work, had mentioned that you know there is this parameter for corporations that if they want to get this um, uh, if they want to get this acknowledgement, they have to employ a certain number of people of color, right? And and uh, I think that percentage in the state of Utah where we have a low, you know, we have a lower number of people of color, it was like 8% uh, in a company. And she said, we can't even get anywhere close to that. We're like struggling to. And that also is a reflection of policy, which is why, you know, this year, uh, the Utah State Legislature in 2022 also passed a multicultural education bill, which um, I'm not exactly sure how that will be put into place, but it will basically start to acknowledge like some historical things and and how it affected different races, which is, which is really neat. We'll start moving the needle a little bit. Yeah, that's really cool. You guys are doing such great work around these issues in the state of Utah, Emily Bell McCormick with the policy project, and then Dr. Susan Madsen with us as well from the Utah women and leadership project. We'll take a break more on the mom show in just a minute. Back inside the mom show. Dads are welcome, but moms come here to be heard. 
We're with Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into the Mom Show today. Thank you for joining us. We've been having a conversation today about women of color in the state of Utah and fully acknowledging that we are three white women talking about the needs of women of color here in Utah. I think that's really important to say up front because we don't have the lived experiences that many women here in Utah have experienced. But Dr. Susan Madsen is with us from the Utah Women in Leadership Project. She's done all the research on what women of color in Utah may be experiencing. And then Emily Bell McCormick with the Policy Project. Emily also has two black children uh, who've had their own experiences here in Utah. Um, And uh, Dr. Madsen, we've talked a lot about some of the gaps between the rest of us here in Utah and then these groups of women of color in Utah. And all of this is kind of like centering around policy, right? Like what can be done to implement some better laws that uh, help these groups? One big pocket that Emily and I and you, Lindsay, are very interested, however, is public policy. So um, for me, I didn't really get all of it until I started being pulled in many years ago. And, And someone asked me when I did research on why more women weren't graduating from college, this was like 13 years ago. Someone asked me, well, what are the public policy implications? And I remember sitting down to write those the first time. And I'm like, I don't know if I understand all this public policy, but we're talking about laws. We're talking about, you know, the, the laws and policies that really even, even programs, you know, need to go through public policy so they can get funding. But Emily, you just ran a real successful, you and your team uh, policy, some public policy that got approved. Yeah, it's 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 really exciting when this happens. You know, the thing we've talked about it a little bit before. We uh, ran a bill to put period products into public schools, and so just using that as an example that that passed, and using that as an example of policy because I think it is. It's a big word. We don't always know what the implications are. So by saying that policy has affected somebody's education. We're going to just take that as an example. You know, earlier in the show, we talked about, you know, these women are having like more difficulty attaining education uh, or or with their educational outcomes like graduating from high school or going to college, you know, and that's become pretty evident in these studies that Dr. Madsen has done for women of color. And I think that um, one thing that we, one, one example that I'll use is just getting period products in schools. So how does that, policy affect the educational outcome of a girl. So what we're talking about is just a law. We basically made it a law that in the state of Utah, every elementary, junior high, and high school have to have tampons and pads in the bathrooms. They are free and they have to be um, a good enough product that a girl can like play basketball in it because the boys are playing basketball and they have to keep up like they're being actually graded in PE by these things, right? So that's the policy. The policy is to put those there. How does that affect a girl's educational outcome? Well, if you have a period for four to six days a month, starting around the age of nine, 10, 11, um, it's earlier and earlier. What happens is your access to the classroom is is it is hurt if you don't have access to period products to care 
for your period. And so um, we know that girls who have chronic absenteeism, that's two days a month. um, If you're missing school two days a month, that contributes to very like lowered graduation rates. And if you're bleeding four to six days a month and you can't access period products, you don't have parents who are able to care for you because of addiction or they don't know you started your period. There's a lot of shame and embarrassment in your home about it or whatever else. this policy that's been put in place. Now, when a girl goes to the bathroom because she started her period, she doesn't have to tell anyone. She doesn't have to tell an adult. She can kind of take care of it herself, find the products there, and then she'll go back to class. Like that's the hope is that at that point, she will then walk and go back to class. You know, in the past, girls would leave school. They would either, you know, slough class or call a parent or someone, they would leave. And so the, the reason that we say policy is so important is because as you can see with that example, if now a, a girl actually had limited access to the classroom, limited by her ability to care for menstruation, because you can't sit through class if you're not caring for it. Now that little barrier has been removed through a law and and, uh, or, and will be this, you know, that, that will be put in place this next um, school year. So now that girl has equal access to the classroom or more equal ac- access to the classroom as a boy, right? Because she has the product she needs to care for it. So I think when we talk about policy, we are talking about laws, but when you see the long-term outcome, if that girl, you know, was chronically absent, she may or may not graduate from high school. She may or may not go to college. You know, all of these things in her life are affected by this, like one little thing that actually we can, that that laws are supposed to make our lives um, more able to access opportunity, more able to access education, more able to participate fully in society. And so that is um, why policy is just such a necessary thing. Yeah, that is such a great example uh, to drill it down on that level, because you could take this broader too, where, you know, we don't have policies around maternity and paternity leave, right? And that's not to say that, you know, the government should be in charge of, of mandating that for businesses, right? We live in a state where that's likely not going to happen, right? But um, I think people have different definitions of what, where the policy could come in and where it shouldn't kind of thing. So, but that's such a great example of how just this, you know, what seems like a minor policy then like has huge implications for these girls and um, their educational outcomes. So, so important. Emily Bell McCormick is with the Policy Project. Dr. Susan Madsen with the Utah Women in Leadership Project did all the research on this. So we are forever indebted to you both for the work that you're doing with women and women of color, specifically in the state of Utah. Ladies, thank you for joining me this week on The Mom Show.